His quote was, your liberation from any personal suffering is yours alone to work on. I'm just saying that opening up and sharing what you're going through is an important part of the healing process. Mm. And the reason I want to go through that is you've mentioned a few times about this vulnerability. It's come up at the start of the, the conversation today and it <laughs> came up in, in your in your language. So for me, I'm like, okay, vulnerability. Tell me more. Why is vulnerability so important and especially for men? Welcome everyone to the main journey, a way for you to join me on a learning journey through life. My name is Samuel Main, and today we welcome Dai Manuel to the show. Dai is a super dad who is on a mission to positively impact 1 million role models around the globe to lead a functionally fit life through education, encouragement, and community. Dai is an award-winning digital thought leader and author, distinguished Toastmaster and TEDx speaker, former partner and chief operating officer of a multi-million dollar retail company, a sought-after lifestyle mentor and executive performance coach. Thank you for taking the time to join me today, Dai. Incredible, incredible journey so far. I'd love it if you could give the audience an insight into your journey through your own words. So where did your interest in coaching others and in business begin? Woo! Let's just dive right in. No, I just, <laughs> Samuel, first of all, it's just an honor to be here. Uh, very, very grateful as well as thank you. I just want to say thank you for you doing what you do, you know, because you know, we need more spaces like this online yes. to capture these types of conversations and, and to normalize the topics we're going to be talking about today. Uh, you know, because it's, it's really that that feeling that we get because these conversations aren't every day, or at least we're not present for these kind of conversations in our own life every day. They, they don't, they feel awkward, right? They, we, we get a little bit, uh, like, I know later on, we're going to talk a bit about that word vulnerability. And, uh, and I can tell you, my, my relationship with that word many, many years ago, not so healthy. <laughs> it's changed it's a work in progress but we'll, we'll we'll get to that and uh you know so thanks thanks for that that kind introduction uh, as you can tell i'm uh somebody that's well i'm i'm a very proud father okay first and foremost and because of that perspective when i started having my my first daughter you know she was born almost 20 years ago now uh and my second one was born you know she's now 17 almost 18 it, it shifts your perspective, right? Your identity shifts as soon as you have a child. Like, I don't care who you are Like when you have a kid, because it goes from about being about me to then about we, when it's my wife and I, right. And now it's just about them. <laughs> so, um, so in that, and this is sort of just a, a, to give some context, because depending on what period of my life, I would have definitely answered your question differently. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would. And yeah. if I go way back, you know, to just, early childhood where a lot of our earliest habits and belief systems are formed because a lot of that times, like when you think about it, our brains aren't wired to be happy, but they are wired to learn. Mm. And the two most effective ways we all learn is through modeling and mentorship. And so you have to think about how does that play into our own lives and how we've grown to be who we are today and continue to evolve into who we believe that we want to become, right? And, and that's a forever thing. I mean, until the day that we depart this mortal coil, you know, like we're, we're always becoming something and uh, we can either be intentional with that or we can sort of just let things happen, <laughs> you know, but uh, 
when I think back, you know, at age nine, it, probably the most dramatic thing that had happened in my childhood was that my parents dropped the bomb on my brother and I, my brother, two and a half years, my, my junior, uh, they dropped the bomb saying, you know, we're separating and divorcing. And, you know, at age nine, again, I'm going to date myself right now. I'm 46 now. <laughs> so we're going back 35 years. So 35 years ago, mid eighties, I mean, there is no internet, <laughs> you know, there's no real great resources for these types of conversations, nor support networks for, for this, because back then it wasn't the same statistic we have with marriages today. You know, the, the, the statistics are more marriages fail <laughs> than succeed, which is, which is startling. And I mean, we can unpack that if we want, but um Bottom line is back then there was a lot of stigmas associated with that. So I, you know, I didn't know that. Um, I had to figure things out on my own. Both my parents were working full time and then some to support my brother and I, because now we had two separate households. And, you know, my world just changed overnight. And it wasn't like I asked for it, right? It, it, you feel like, you know, change is a weird thing. And maybe we'll get to change in a minute because everything's really our relationship with this idea of change and evolution in our own lives. And uh, I definitely felt like change was happening and I didn't want it. You know, it was like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, that old Harrison Ford movie where that big cement boulder is chasing him out of that, that <laughs> he's running away. And it sort of felt like that, you know, that's how I per, per looked at change. It was these unwanted big obstacles that were going to run you over, whether you liked it or not. So age nine, right? <laughs> I'm not, not doing so well. Uh, there's a lot of emotions. Yep. And I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. Plus, I didn't know how to talk about it. So I bottled it up. Mm -hmm. And that stress and that anxiety and that depression that then ensued, I, I found very quick ways to release it. And it wasn't healthy ways. Okay. So, so what I started doing very early on was eating my emotions. I realized that if I eat certain types of foods, I'd feel better in the moment. Now, again, it would eventually fade away within just a matter of time, you know, usually within a few hours. And what do I want? I want to eat some more, right? So, and it wasn't like I was reaching for big salad, Samuel, okay? Like I, I was eating <laughs> foods that were very, um, let's just say very poor in nutrition value, but high in calorie value. And, and you know, your, your background's also in the health and wellness industries. And, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to tell us, or a nutritionary scientist for that matter, to tell us that if we keep adding more than we need, we're going to start to store that stuff, you know? And within a period of about five years, because also one of my pastimes was I was chasing dopamine hits, not, not through activity, actually through very passive activities, you know, through movies and video games. So that's how I was getting that sort of uh, mental kick, you know, that little bit of satisfaction, that distraction from my life was through movies and, and video games. And I got that mood enhancement through eating certain unhealthy foods. And that became a very dominant habit in my life. And, you know, that, again, five years of that, it compounds daily, right? It's not like I ate a Big Mac at age nine and then by, you know, the day later, 24 hours later, I was morbidly obese. It was a five-year process. But it got to a place where, you know, at 14, almost 15 years old, I'm at the doctor's office with my mom and, you know, Dr. Quinn pulls my mom out of the office and, of course, leaves the door ajar so I can hear everything they're saying in the hallway. Betty Ann dies morbidly obese. Now, I overheard that and I'm like, okay, I don't know what morbidly means. I don't know what obese means, <laughs> but it doesn't sound good. And, no. and I knew how I felt already. You know, everything was hard. It was hard. You know, climbing, I remember at, at my school, I, my, my homeroom was on the third floor. And I mean, there weren't any elevators in this school. Okay, it's an old school. And, and so you have to walk up these big flights of stairs every day, up and down. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, I'd, I'd be huffing and puffing and a little sweat breaking out, you know, like just the simplest of things were hard 
And I'm supposedly like in one of the prime of youth, you know, I'm at 14, 15 years old. And psychologically, there's a lot of other challenges that came with that. And, and uh, I was dealing with some social anxiety as well, which, you know, it's appeared a few times in my life, but it was really quite aggressive back then. And uh, I just kept trying to self-medicate. Yeah. And um, it got to a place where, you, you know, life was getting really hard. And I, I, I'm not going to lie, you know, I was... I was envisioning maybe it'd just be easier not to to wake up, you know, be easier not to have to live this. If this is the best it's going to get, I don't think I'm looking forward to the next 50, 60, 70 years of this. And then, you know, it's really weird. Okay. Like, I'm just going to say this as it is, because I think it's the easiest way to deliver it. And, I, and I'm hoping people can relate to this because I think they will, when they really think about the biggest changes that we've all navigated. I found myself... <laughs> thinking, you know, and thinking, and, and it was actually in this moment when I caught my reflection in the mirror. And, and I used to always have this little hack where I would have a shower and I turn the water on really hot because the hotter it was, by the time I get out, the mirror will be covered in condensation. Okay. This way I wouldn't have to see my reflection. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, you know, it, and even back then there's like two images of me, two photos. Now, thankfully, it's not like today where we have smartphones, you know, high pixel phones in our back pockets. You know, everyone's got one. I mean, I remember my kids had their first cell phone, what, at age 11, 12, right? Like it, it's phenomenal just how accessible the technology is today. And I don't know what I would have done had I lived in that kind of technology, that kind of oh, pressure. And that's why I really feel for kids today. You know, I really do. And um, so uh, there I was, you know, and I, I found myself thinking, gosh, it took me five years to get to this place. I don't like where I am. I don't like who I am. I'm not enjoying life. You know, I'm not, I'm not feeling very happy. And I thought, geez, it took me five years to get to this place. Well, you know, and I'm at 15, right? I'm, I'm just sort of in early high school years and I'm already thinking about, well, where do I go next when high school is done? I'm like, okay, well, in the next five years, you know, when I'm 20, if I haven't changed anything, I keep doing what I'm doing. Am I going to be any healthier than I am right now? Hell no. You know, I, I would, at least I wasn't going to lie to myself anymore. Yeah. You know, and I realized that like, you know, five years from now, if I don't change anything, it's not going to be better than it is right now at 15. And this is what happened to be perfectly honest and transparent. I was more afraid of the idea of, of not changing than I was of the idea of changing. Wow. Now I think for a lot of us, if we think about those places that we get to where we feel like we've hit rock bottom, you know, and, and to be fair, I felt like actually I was at rock bottom, but the rock was on top of me, <laughs> you know, like a little like Atlas, right? And I'm like, I can't move this thing. I'm done. And I should just give up. And, and, but that is the easy way out. And uh, fortunately for me, I did have parents that had wonderful work ethics. They were extremely supportive. They wanted to help me, mm -hmm. even though I, every time they tried to help me, I thought, no, you're just saying I'm, I'm not good enough the way I am. You're saying that you want me to change. That, that, that's how I interpret it. Heavy. That's not what they intended, right? That's not what they meant at all. Yeah. But it's how I was at that time interpreting and, and receiving that message and that that support that they were trying to offer. And, uh, oh, man, it just got to this place where I was like, you know what? I, I want to make some changes. I can't accept this anymore. I want to be healthy. I remember rushing out of that bathroom after staring at myself in the mirror for a second and having an ugly crying session, you know, like those the ugly sobbing, you know, like you're just like, you're like, thank goodness there's no cameras on me right now because I don't want to look at me, you know, like, and uh, I got out and I found my dad in the living room. I'm like, dad, I want to get healthy. And he must have seen something in my eyes that day because he's like, 
okay, what do you want to do? <laughs> you know, like it was like instant. He was like, okay, we got to hit this iron while it's hot, you know, like, boom, let's do this. And, uh, I was like, Oh, you know what? I, I really like a bike. I, I used to love riding my bike as a kid. Maybe, I, maybe we can get me a bike. He's like, sure, let's do that. We went out, bought me a bike. I started cycling every day. And now the reason why I chose a bike and not going to a gym or that, I was like, I'm not going into a gym, a place with a bunch of mirrors on the walls and equipment I don't know how to use and a bunch of people that look really fit. And every time they look at me, I think they're judging me, you know, like that is, that is common feeling. Yeah. And I was like, no, uh, I'll, I'll do something that I can do very privately secluded on my own. And, uh, I started just cycling every day Amazing. and I also went to the library. Now my kids, they still say, dad, why don't you just Google it? I'm like, your dad's older than Google. You know, like <laughs> how many people can say that? But yes, I'm older than Google. And and I went to the library, got books out on nutrition and a mindset and lifestyle and, and all sorts of stuff. And I just started consuming content mm -hmm. and, and really just trying to educate myself on different ways to start to change my situation. Amazing. And what set in motion that day was literally a, a 20 month journey, maybe a bit longer than that to release all that weight that I had put on and to, to, to create a new lifestyle and a new belief system about myself, more importantly. And uh, so by age 17, you know, I was healthier, I was fitter, I, I was feeling more confident. I still had a lot of those psychological mental health challenges because it, I mean, I just, I didn't quite shake a lot of that, you know, especially some of that social angst that I experienced, some of the depression that I was experiencing. It was still there, but it wasn't as prevalent. I'd found ways to sort of deal with it, but in a much healthier way. And, um, and to, to, this is how I'm going to get to the answer on your question, you know, because at age 17, something interesting happened. A friend of my mom's came by the house. You know, this is my mom's place. We lived with my mom and uh, <laughs> I'm in the kitchen, like preparing a meal. I don't remember exactly what I was doing, but I was in the kitchen. We had this old porch and uh, they come around to the back of the house, up on the porch, this old screen door. There was an old Victorian house. My mom loves antiques. And so she always liked these older homes and she'd do it up like uh, antique style. You know, you kind of feel like you're on Little House on the Prairie meets the Victorian age. You know, it's kind of a, a weird thing, but it's just, it's what she loves. Right. So um, this old screen door and they're knocking on the door and I'm like looking at the, I'm like, Hey, what's up? My mom's in the back doing some gardening. I'm like, Oh, okay. And they just stood there, you know, with this empty sort of stare, but also they weren't leaving to go see my mom. And I was like, okay, this is kind of weird. Uh, what's up? <laughs> what can I do for you? And they're like, well, actually, before we talk to your mom, can I talk to you? I'm like, oh boy, what did I do last weekend? You know, instantly I'm thinking, what here's an adult. Yeah, I'm like, totally. That's exactly where my brain went. My teenage brain was like, oh man, what did I do last weekend? Oh geez, I'm in trouble. Anyway, so they came in, they sat me down. And first thing out of the mouth was they acknowledged me wow. they acknowledge the changes they've seen in me over the last two years up to that point how i had just changed everything i become much more fitter more 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 engaging you know more apt to have conversation you know like wanting to hang out at the adult table you know mm -hmm. like just just they saw this shift this maturity but also this physical change and they saw the work that i put in to make that happen and so yeah. It was amazing because all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow, okay, that, that makes me feel good. You know, I felt, I felt seen, I felt acknowledged. And then something magical happened. They said, hey, we'd like to get a little healthier. And he was implying to some of his other family members that they wanted to get healthier. And he was like, do you think you could help? Could you help us, you know, lose some weight, get a little bit healthier? Love that. And I was like, you know, at 17 years old, I'm like looking around the room, like, are you talking to me? <laughs> you know, I felt like De Niro, right? From taxi cab, uh, taxi driver. I was just like, what are you talking to me? You know, like, cause I felt like that. I was just like, 
wow, this is the first time I feel like I actually have something of value to offer somebody and I can help somebody. And as, as soon as I started helping them, I got this wave of fulfillment and happiness and joy. You know, I felt connected. I felt like on purpose. And, and it was like instant. I was like, you know what? I don't care what I do with the rest of my life. This is going to be a part of it. Right. Helping others with change, specifically in around health. And whether that be mental health, physical health, emotional health, spiritual health. I mean, it's evolved, obviously, as I've evolved. Mm -hmm. You know, me too. I'm on the yeah. same journey as everybody else. And uh, people still ask, what was your main motivation for the change at 15? I'm like, to be honest, I wanted a girlfriend. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> like, straight up. But now, now again, I've unpacked that with therapy and, and I've worked with a psychologist for a period of time. And, and I know as I've unpacked that, you know, it, it, and my perspective has sort of shifted. I realized what I was ultimately saying is that I just, I, I was looking for love. I wanted mm -hmm. to be loved. I wanted to be, I wanted oh. someone to want me, for me. Yeah. you know? And, um, but the funny thing was, is I, I needed to get to a place where I could accept me for me. And, and as cliche as that sounds, that's really, you know, the last 13 years I've been finally figuring that part out. I didn't yeah. quite figure that out, you know? And, um, but anyway, so that's sort of where the origin story, a backstory to, to what right. introduced me to coaching and mentorship. And it was, you know, like most of us that work in the space, we've gone through something rather significant in our own lives. And we get out on the other side and we look back and we can't help but seeing people at that starting line that we started off on. And we're like, Hey, come on. In fact, we might even go back there and say, listen, I'm going to go part of the journey with you. You know, mm -hmm. let me show you where some of those pitfalls are, but you know, those, those roadblocks that we're going to have to circumvent, you know, like, let me help you through this. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's, that's really right. it, man. That's what the next, I mean, my, my next 25 some odd years were involved in, for in the wellness industry. Yeah. For it. One, yeah. thank you for sharing. It's so thank many you for insights. Asking. <laughs> just, it's so interesting to hear that journey. I talk a lot, a lot about triggers um mm -hmm. in on this podcast and majority yeah. of people we speak to have a trigger that then started their journey on a different path for, for you is obviously you know those harsh words or um that that honesty of the mor morbidly obese it starts mm. you on a different journey it's really interesting you mentioned about topics that are not normalized you also mentioned about unhealthy coping methods. So, you know, there's going to be, there's very likely as people listen to this call right now yeah. that are either addicted to porn, drugs, food, alcohol, video games, ad addicted to something, vaping. All the above, maybe. Right? You All know, like above. it's, yeah, totally. Yeah. So they're probably listening to this and going, oh, I need to change. I need to change. So what is that first step in changing? Well, you know, you may feel like it starts as a need, but it really becomes quite powerful when it becomes a want, mm -hmm. you know, um, it, it sort of goes to a different layer because, uh, you know, there's a lot of aspects where I need this, I need that, you know, and we say this often, but do we really want it? I find when we want it versus need it, uh, it's a subtle shift, but that subtle shift in perspective and understanding and relationship to, to the idea behind that. Because in wanting something, it also implies that it might require some work. Mm -hmm. I need this. You know, it's like, and that might imply some work too. But when you accept it, it's like, listen, this is my life. This is, you know, it's that per, let's just call it accountability, self-accountability to, the, yeah. to the, the top level, right? It's like, listen, I know that I can seek help and get support in the changes I want to see happen. But really, at the end of the day, this is my journey to take. And I'm the one that's got to live with myself 24-7. 
for the rest of my life. And, and, you know, this muscle between the ears, you know, might only be six inches across, but it's where it all starts, right? It's that belief system, that understanding, that relationship we have to self and how we see ourselves in this world. And, and not only see ourselves now, but also where we want to be. It is a, it's important to, to recognize the contrast because we learn through contrast, right? Like we appreciate the hot because we know we've experienced the cold. You know, we experience what it means to feel satiated after a great meal because we've probably at one point in our lives been hungry or starving. Mm -hmm. So contrast does give a broader uh, spectrum of colors, let's say, for our lives and uh, and really fills that in. And, uh, you, you know, when I think back on it, it this idea of trying to escape or, or distract ourselves from dealing with whatever the, the, the is below the symptoms. And that's where, you know, having someone that has that extra experience or, or, or schooling, you know, like I worked with a psychologist, I've worked with therapists. I've got no problem with that. Now I was very apprehensive about it for a big part of my life. But once I got into my thirties and I finally said, you know what, I think this could help me. I think I need to talk to somebody. It wasn't until I got really vulnerable with my wife, though, yeah. and opened up about what I was struggling with and got to a place where I was like, you know what? I do need help. And more importantly, I don't just need it. I want it. And that put it in motion because now I was a, a very much an active participant in my own life, you know, putting certain things in motion, like making the appointments and actually following through on that. And as soon as I started unpacking things, I started realizing, sheesh. I got a few other things here I got to work through because uh, let me just say this at 17, as much as I had developed this new healthy lifestyle, there was still a lot of the mental health sh stuff I was working through, or I, to be honest, was sort of burying. And I realized that that social angst piece, I, I didn't really deal with very well. I always believed I was a shy individual. Mm -hmm. I am naturally introverted, even though I choose to work as an extrovert. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of people that are like me out there, you know, like I'm not out doing stuff all the time. You know, I, I choose when I'm going to put that activity out there because it drains me so much. Mm. But I do it because I chase impact. I want to leave a legacy for my family. I also, on top of that, want to be on my deathbed one day looking around at all the beautiful people that I admire and love in my life and be able to say with full integrity, hey guys, I'm on my way out. But at least I'm leaving this place better at what, than it was when I got here, right? Like, <laughs> and, and I, I want to be able to say that. But more than just say it, but believe it and feel it. And uh, that, that sets a lot of intentionality with the choices that I make every day. You know, I, I don't live a perfect life by far. I don't think anybody does. But I live a life of intention. And, you know, I needed to unpack and work through a lot of problems because what happened was at 18, 17, 18, I realized as I was starting to be seen differently from people, which was my intention, right? I wanted to be excited. I had a girlfriend now. I started getting invited by some of the cool kids or people that I believed were the cool kids to be social with them, you know, because I, I got this new physique, I, I got strong, I got much more athletic, like I just, all of a sudden, people started to take notice. And so it made me feel good. But at the same time, I was really introverted. Mm -hmm. And then I remember going to my first social setting. And again, you know, it was a social anxiety and the peer pressure. I, you know, someone offered me a beer. I took one. I took another. Two, three drinks in, I realized, whoa, I feel like a different person. Yep. I can talk to anybody, you know, I can be social. I, like all of a sudden, all those fears that I was associating in my mind just sort of melted away. And I took on a new persona and, you know, that became very dominant for me. So I had a, a, eliminated the food issue. Right. And, and then I replaced it with alcohol. Yeah. 
And pretty soon, you know, with, oh, sorry. Sometimes when I say S, uh, my Siri picks up. Uh, <laughs> just a sign that I'm not enunciating my words very well. Um, but uh, Siri. Um, but, uh, you, you know, and that carried forward for a long time, you know, until I was in my early 30s, around 32, 33, which is partly why my TEDx wow. talk last year came out finally, was to tell that story of how alcohol then played in. But uh, anyway, so I, I feel very much for people that, like to distract dealing with the challenges that they're working through to the point where maybe they just don't even want to work on anymore. It's easier just to ignore them and avoid them and hope that they just sort of stop being dominant thoughts in our minds. Right. And uh, the one thing I can definitely encourage is, is that people seek out, don't be afraid to seek out that extra support, Yeah, you know, to, to find a professional to work with. You know, I've worked with them. I've also found great coaches and mentors in my life. So I am very grateful for the people that have come into my life, but they've only come in because I let them in. Mm. You know what I mean? Like people don't force their way in saying, I'm going to help you whether you like it or not. I mean, maybe, maybe uh, that was never my case, but uh, you know, I, I went out looking for it. Yeah. And fortunately there was people on the other end, ready and waiting, extending a hand saying, Hey, grab it if you need it. You know? And, uh, and I had the, the, know with all to at least extend my own hand and grab hold, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, as much as that sounds like a, a metaphor, it, it's not, it's like the legit, <laughs> it's what happened, yep. you know? So yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but- uh, I like what you said, when you said like, you have to put your arm up. You have to raise it first. Um, there was a couple of things that I, I picked up on here is you mentioned about alcohol, arguably mm -hmm. the most overused drug or coping mechanism and sure. the the one that's legal yeah. right yeah, yeah that's right wild and i look at it in a way is that it's almost like a hidden coping mechanism because it's so accepted nope. in our culture it's normal and for me i'm not perfect i'm still working on it and you mm -hmm. know um especially like binge drinking i, I know mm -hmm. near drink as much now but you know when i look about five years a lot of alcohol but if you're drinking every weekend if you're drinking after work every single day that's a coping mechanism for the conversations you are not having with yourself and with other people. Right. Oh, well said. And I spoke with um, a another uh, TEDx talker and author mm -hmm. last week. His name was Jem Fuller, and he wrote a book mm -hmm. called The Art of Conscious Communication. There's a quote that mm -hmm. came up for me, which is very relative to the same point that you've just covered. And it's super, super interesting. So I was like, oh, wait a minute, there's so many similarities. His quote was, your liberation from any personal suffering is yours alone to work on. I'm just saying that opening up and sharing what you're going through is an important part of the healing process. Mm. And the reason I want to go through that is you've mentioned a few times about this vulnerability. It's come up at the start of the, the conversation today and it <laughs> came up in, in your in your language. So for me, I'm like, okay, vulnerability. Tell me more. Why is vulnerability so important? And especially for men. Well, uh, obviously, you know, <laughs> vulnerability, if we go to a textbook definition, right? Mm -hmm. What we, I know that I have friends that work in IT as an example, <laughs> you know, the way they define vulnerabilities is very different, right? Uh, again, it, it relates to the context that we're using the term, but if we're talking about connection, mm -hmm. understanding, relatability, empathy, you know, can really seeing eye to eye with somebody or that idea of walking in someone else's shoes or allowing them to walk in our own vulnerability is a piece that's required to to be able to communicate that but to to onboard people to welcome them in with open arms that hey i'm struggling here mm -hmm. and you know 
can you relate to this? And, and you don't, I find that a lot of the time when we're vulnerable, we don't have to even ask, do you relate to this? You'll have people around you be like putting up their hands saying, me too. I mean, I look at the Me Too movement. I mean, it's a prime example of vulnerability, you know, and vulnerability to the nth power because it is leveraging social to get a message out much more quickly. And, and I mean, I look at all these women that have stepped forward and now it's, it's others, right? I mean, we talk about the gender neutrality, right? Like it, it's, it's, it's across the board now a lot. I mean, gosh, even with Black Lives Matter, right? Like we, we've seen this amazing influx Courage. of people basically saying, hey, this is wrong. This is something I experienced. And I'm sharing my story. Yeah. And it, by being vulnerable, and this is the thing about vulnerability, <clears throat> and I'm speaking from a man who identifies as man and someone that's been around men's groups for many, many years now. <laughs> it takes someone to go first. Okay, it, it, you need someone to go to be vulnerable first. It's like think about our, our relationship with that that life partner. Who's gonna say I love you first? Mm -hmm. Like that is a prime example <laughs> of vulnerability in our lives every day. You know, is that that ooh, or going up to that person that we really like, and it's like you know, hearts beating, <laughs> sweaty palms. You know, we're. <laughs> And we're like, okay, I want to ask this person out, you know, just for a coffee. I want, I just want to say hi. And and but that it, that first action, that first letting down that barrier and extending. Now, yes, that it too is an act of being vulnerable, because we let down our defenses, our facades for a moment, and it allows others in yep. to see who we really are. Now, as Brene Brown says, not everyone deserves all vulnerability, and vulnerability is not meant for shock and awe. Right. If we're saying vulnerability to be like, hey, look at me, and it's an ego play, wrong motivation. You know, there's something else at work there, I would think. And when we're actually using vulnerability as a mask to, to basically, you know, protect ourselves uh, under the guise of being vulnerable. And I find that really interesting too. And I, I don't want to delve into that too much, but rather speak from the other side where it's like, you know, as a man who identif identifies as a man, I, I talked to, at the beginning today, especially about this idea of, our brains aren't wired to be happy, but they are wired to learn. And we think about how do we learn in our own lives through the mentors that we have. Also, what's being modeled around us. And I think back to myself in my late teens and well into my 20s, even into my early 30s to some extent. You know, I'm I'm getting into my own business, you know, with a partner where it starts scaling. There's lots more pressure on me to perform at a high level because we're building this business. And now I'm being seen as a partner in a company that's growing. We got employees coming on and contractors and new companies we're dealing with. And at the same time, I'm starting to have my kids. Like there's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure, but I'm the strong, confident guy. I'm the guy that goes out and parties with everybody. I'm fun guy die. You know, that was literally the nickname people had for me. Fun guy die, you know, like, and and pretty soon, you know, you keep putting on this mask, it becomes your dominant face. Mm -hmm. No one really knew what I, who I was and how I was suffering, you know, and, and I was masking. I was really good at masking. And, and I'm only sharing this because I know this is common for a lot of men. Now, I'm, I'm not speaking about other genders. I'm, again, speaking as a man who identifies yeah. as a man. And what I've observed and experienced in my communities, I, I can speak to this quite well, you know. And here's the thing, though. In our men's groups, as an example. We have a question we like to ask to sort of open up the sharing or, or that part where we get to just talk about what's alive and real for us. 
we literally asked that question. Like, like, hey guys, what's alive and real for you right now? Who'd like to go first? You know, anybody want to say anything? And again, we want to talk not just about the good stuff and the great stuff that's happening, but also talk about the challenging stuff. You know, as I say, the good, the bad, and the, you know, like it doesn't matter. It's all on the table, but someone's got to go first. And when someone goes first and shows a, a strong example of being vulnerable, but from a place of strength and a desire of understanding and connection, but more importantly to say, Hey, I, I might need some help here, you know, or at least some guidance, yeah. somebody to share with me something that's worked for them, or what's a habit that you picked up? That's helped you through something similar to this, you know, but until we share what we've been experiencing, we don't allow people to, to help. We just can't because they don't know what's going on, you know? So it's, yeah. it's really funny that way. Right. But as okay. soon as one person goes and I see this at the men's groups, one guy will share, you know, there's, there's an example, actually. I, I, so we'd have these groups that we meet every Monday called men tership Mondays. Okay. I mean, the guys come together for dinner and conversation every Sunday, uh, Monday night. And we would often have upwards of 20, 24 upwards, you know, a couple dozen guys sitting around a big table. And it was awesome because we'd have, you know, as young as 18 yeah. to as, as old as early 70s. And everything in between, we'd often have many countries represented and continents represented because at this point in time, I was living in Bali, Indonesia with my family. Love it. And so Bali is interesting because, you know, just you get so many people coming to Bali. So yeah. we would often have not only Indonesians and expats, but also just people that were visiting and they'd hear about our men's group and they'd come and uh, they'd hang out, which was awesome because you get so many different perspectives and cultural perspectives as well. Mm -hmm. I remember this one meeting in particular, the 70 year old guy put up his hand. When that question was asked across from him, kitty corner, you know, just a, a cross and two over was this young guy, 18, first time ever coming to a men's meeting. Right. And he walks into the room, right. And there's like a couple dozen dudes there. And he's like, looking around, like, what have I just walked into? Cause there was only one entrance in and out. Okay. <laughs> like, so he's like, I can't just turn around and walk out. They've all just seen me. Cause we all stopped. We looked at him, you know, we're all sitting around the table just before the meeting starts. So we're all just sort of yammering. A lot of us knew each other really well. And, you know, he's the stranger, the newbie coming in at 18 years old. So I commend him, you know, at 18, I didn't have the know with all to, to want to go to something like that. You know, I would have been like, no hell way, you know, like I'm not going, you know, that sounds really scary, <laughs> but he showed up yep. and he stayed and he sat down and he went along with it. And this 70 year old started to share a story about something that he's been working on for over 40 years. Since he was in his thirties, there was something that he's been struggling with and it comes and it goes. I won't share what that struggle is. It's as based on the anonymity and the privacy that we have. You know, yeah. we always say what happens at Mentorship Monday stays at Mentorship Monday. Wow. But <laughs> what I can say is that as he was sharing the 18-year-old's eyes, they whitened, they brightened, they he was present. Wow. He was hanging on every word the guy was saying. And next, after he finished sharing, we're like, hey, anybody else want to share? The young guy put up his hand. He put up his hand and he started sharing. And it wasn't until after the meeting when Nick and I, uh, Nick's uh, the co-facilitator. So we, we started Mentorship Mondays together. And, you know, we, we, we pulled this young guy aside, as we always do. You know, we just talk to people, make sure they're leaving. Things are, are not being, they're leaving something incomplete. You know, we want to make sure you're good. And he's like, you know, I feel amazing. I shared something today that I've wanted to share, but I've never shared it with anyone before. Wow. I'm like, how do you feel? He goes, I, well, I feel really good. Especially when I saw all the other guys' hands going up to say, hey, me too. 
again, we don't actually come out and say me too, but we have hand gestures. So we don't interrupt the person while they're in flow and they're sharing, you know, we, because I've been really disruptive. You have somebody else start talking or interjecting, even if they say, oh man, yeah, I get that. You know, just even that little interruption. And so we recognize hand gestures work a lot better. And so when you see like half the table putting up their hand to say, hey, me too. I've also struggled with that. Yeah. The 18 year old, he said something very interesting. I didn't think anybody would understand what I was going through. I didn't think anybody else had this problem. And you see, this is what vulnerability allows us. When we start to say, yeah, this is what I'm struggling with, we give permission to others to say, hey, you know what? Me too. Mm. Or I did struggle with that too. Here's what I did. Here's what helped me. Maybe this will help you. How, maybe I can help you. You know, like we don't even invite that kind of a conversation or opportunity if we don't get vulnerable, open up and share what's alive and real for us right now. And, and I'm not saying it's easy. It's not. I can speak really well to this because it's been a tough one for me. It's still 13 years in progress, right? Yeah. Like, but the more I do it, the more comfortable I get with it. Wow. And I've also recognized that not everybody deserves the vulnerability that I have, but it's something that's earned. Mm. It is a, a deep sign of trust when someone's vulnerable with you or you are vulnerable with somebody. And, and it's not something to be taken lightly. But man, it will deepen the connection and that relatability and that understanding. And, and gosh, it feels good when you don't feel alone in your suffering. Yeah. So that's vulnerability. That's what I meant by it. <laughs> so powerful. I think there's so much value in that. We mentioned the word courage. And there was, a, there was a, a person actually that came up for me. His name is Perry Power. And he wrote the book, Breaking the Silence, uh, talking about uh, sexual abuse in minors and was sharing other people's stories. And I was like, Anyone who's done anything worthwhile has had that courage to step up and to share and to talk and to communicate and ultimately be vulnerable. Now, that was what came to mind for me. Mm. Um, and I love this conversation of talking about the men's group because I don't think it's talked about enough. I don't think there's enough yeah. support out there for men. It's becoming a better conversation. And um, I'm not also saying that we're forgetting about the other side for the for, for females no but i just want to actively talk about men for this i'm part of a men's group i'm in the process uh, i am leading a men's group and we're setting one up and uh we've got our you know first first few people in there and it's been been Wonderful. incredible so far when you reflect on leading the men's group that you have for so long what are those lessons that you've mm. learned on that journey <laughs> well first of all it it's really interesting, but when we were just getting started, like, it, it, okay, so I, in Bali, just as an example, it, it's a, have you been to Bali yet? Sam? Yes, I have. Okay. Yeah, I was there for a few Wonderful. weeks, climbed oh, up. Where'd you uh, stay? Was, um, oh, it's Can a random, random, yes, random, okay. um, random villa we had, went to uh, CrossFit Wanderlust and Dave. Oh, okay, yeah. Awesome. With and Dave climbed. and the guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's great. Um, yeah. What's the volcano called? I can't remember the, the volcano. Um, the one that's actually on the island of Bali up, up yeah. north on, uh, that's, um, oh, I, can't remember. I want to say Badur. No, not Badur. Uh, Badung. No, uh, Batur. 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 Yeah. Batur. yeah. Right that. above the little, uh, the, the, the scuba community there. Correct. Uh, gosh, I I'm drawing a blank already. Four hours before the volcano erupted. Wow. Oh, so you were there during that time? There, okay. Uh, Very yeah. cool. Four or yeah. five years ago, maybe it was, but, yeah. um, yeah, I have been to Bali. Amazing place. Oh man, that's amazing. Well, I lived in Changu and uh, I did train at CrossFit Wonderlust, but I also trained at uh, Nirvana uh, Strength, really cool. which is actually just down the street. And it's a, it's a calisthenics gym. And that's actually nice. in their back though. They have a beautiful facility and that's where we would host our men's group. Really cool. And, and uh, my friend, Nick, 
was living in Ubud. Now, for those that aren't familiar with Ubud, is is more um, in the interior of Bali. Uh, it's really well known if you've ever seen the movie Eat, Play, Love, uh, <laughs> Julia uh, Roberts' movie, and based on the book. And uh, when she goes to Bali, she spends a good amount of time in Ubud, and uh, it's sort of like that yoga mecca, okay? And a lot of spirituality uh, emerges from there. And and Nick would host men's circles, typically around full moon. Uh, which is very common. There's always lots of circles happening around full moons. And uh, I, I, you know, driving an hour to Ubud and an hour back, like it, it's not like I was opposed to that, but it just, it wasn't part of my regular life and my routine and it wasn't convenient. So I knew if it wasn't something that was convenient, it wouldn't stick for me, become a regular thing. And uh, I had an idea. I was like, you know what? I want to start a men's group here in Changu. I want to start a group where we can get together again, dinner and conversation and no, no hidden agenda, you know, no cost, just show up. You, you pay a little bit of money, but that's just to cover your meal for the night and let's see what happens, you know? And Nick was the first guy I called. I literally called him on WhatsApp. I'm like, Hey Nick, so this is the idea I've got. I'm going to start one of these. And what do you think? We, we, and he's like, I'll, I'll be there. I'm like, really? You'll just come for the first one. He's like, no, I'll be there every Monday. I was like, Okay, well, I guess we're doing this then. <laughs> and so right from the get-go, we sort of co-facilitated and, and started through this. And in the early days, though, we didn't have a lot of structure to it. Mm -hmm. And I think something as men, uh, again, maybe I'm speaking more to myself on this and, and projecting, but I found that, you know, as men, if we don't have some, some specific structure, it, it can get out of hand pretty quick, okay? Like the conversations start to, to really become quite fractured you know, and, and groups start to emerge and pockets and it just, it, it interferes with the uniformity and the flow of a, of a, a structured meeting. Right. Yeah. And so we realized early on, we have to create some structure for this, create some basic rules of the game, so to speak, you know, and, uh, and that when we start to implement that, and then we added in the hand gesture component as well, it really started to make things much more cohesive it flowed better. Yeah. Um, but the thing that was most interesting was we would encourage those that were there, get a commitment if they were coming back the following week, right then and there. Some of them wouldn't because they were only in Bali for a short period of time or they were traveling, but those that could would, but we'd always encourage them. Hey, when you're out there and experiencing life for the next week, remember how you're feeling right now, because we would always close with, Hey, it, you know, what's your biggest takeaway from tonight from being here? It was always positive. Always. It's like, man, I feel more connected. I feel, you know, just, I feel better, you know, than I was when I got here. And we're like, remember that feeling? Remember what you were able to achieve by being here around other men that are on the same wavelength with you, wanting to improve and to not afraid to open up and talk about the areas we need to improve. And we invite you to invite one more. Hmm. Bring somebody. Yeah. You know, bring someone next to me. Bring another man. Just have him come as a guest. Check it out. You yeah. know, there's no agenda here. It's just introducing to what could be. And it started to grow very quickly. You know, guys would just be talking about it. Like I, I was also the president of the Toastmasters Club uh, in Changu as well. And so every other week I'd be having Toastmasters meeting. There'd always be a good assortment of new guys there. And I'd always go up to the guys, welcome to the Toastmasters. But I also, you know, by the end of the meeting, I would go around and say, hey, I also have another group that I run. Love that. For men only. Here's what it is. You want to come hang out and check it out, meet some other cool guys. Inevitably, it was always a positive yes. And so all you can do is extend a hand and invite. That's it. You know, and 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 I find that's the most effective way with other men to get them to commit. Mm -hmm. I, I found that if I sent private messages or DMs, sometimes they'd show up. Yeah. But if it was a face-to-face -face or a personal conversation, almost always showed up. 
So just something to keep in mind, yeah. you know, because there's that personal aspect that, you know, I, I love social media and the convenience it creates and, and also how it brings the world. In. I mean, look at you and I, Samuel, how did we connect? Yeah. Right. Like Hold we have a mutual mind. connection, but through this, yeah. this platform, you're, you're, I mean, on the other side of the ocean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, long way away. So I, I, I'm not against technology and social, but I, I do recognize it also has its limits. Yes. And there's something that's very different when we have this kind of a in intimate connection through a personal live conversation. Mm -hmm. And I find that because of the intimacy that's by nature in a men's group or a women's group or, you know, a group or a circle period, it, it, it's nice to have that kind of level of invitation, you know? And uh, because when I try to do it the other way and, and Nick can attest to this too, is just it, the, the results weren't as good. We just found that the, the attendance wouldn't be as good, you know? And uh um, and our goal is just to, to introduce men to the conversation. That was it. Yeah. That's cool. And as they started to open up to it, man, it was just wild to see these guys go off. And because you end up connecting with these guys, they go off into their home countries and wherever they end up again, but you end up staying connected on social. And to see what those initial conversations and experiences at that mentorship Monday meeting and how it's trickled over into their lives now where they are and how they're impacting others in their communities it's really inspiring to see. So there's something to this. And I'm not saying mentorship Monday is a solution. Of course not. I mean, Samuel, you're starting a men's group. It is one of the solutions. Just the fact that we're creating a safe space for men to come and practice being vulnerable with one another without the fear of that being used against them, being taken out of context. And, and it's just a, a wonderful, safe place to practice yes. developing this skill that we all agree it would be nice to be able to be more vulnerable. Yeah, We know that. As a father of two girls, I'll tell you, it's made my relationship with my kids much more sound. It's also helped my wife and I endure. I mean, I've been dating her for 22, almost 23 years now, you know, and we've had our challenges, but in the last 13 years it was a lot better than the first 10. Amazing. And it's because of a lot of these changes, you know? Yep. Yeah. All for it. There was so much of that that I loved. You mentioned about structure and how guys need structure. So I'd love to learn about some frameworks or practices that mm. you consistently use to help and serve those men. But before we delve into that, I want to just express my gratitude for you in being so open in talking about these topics and these difficult things, because again, it's not talked about enough. And for me, those men's groups in my previous background, I was health and fitness. And I was, that was all I was. And then I was business and I was all I was. And these men's group now allowed me to broaden my coaching horizons, but help people not just in business, not just in their personal health and fitness, but now also in their relationships, their life and a more holistic approach. And the results of that have been astounding because it's now the full picture. So that's been uh, amazing. So again, thank you for, for sharing. So I'd love to ask you, you again, um, is there any particular frameworks or practices that you're just a massive fan of or that you use to help coach men to become uh, their best self? Well, thanks for asking. You know, it, uh, things have shifted for me, all right? Like, obviously, I'm in my mid-40s now. It's different than it was 10 years ago. It's different than it was 20 years ago, right? Yeah. Like, um, but I am happy to say, I, from a health perspective, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, I'm in the best place I've ever been. Yes, let's go physically fitter than I've ever been. I outperform what I used to do in my mid thirties, especially in my mid twenties and my mid thirties, I was competing in CrossFit and I'm like fitter now, you know, and I don't compete anymore, but I've tweaked how I, how I train because of 
also I was aging, you know, and I've recognized I'm more interested in longevity along with vitality than I am about getting a new PR. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, or a personal best. Yeah. Like it just, again, my focus has changed. Um, and I think it's important to recognize where are we at? And, and that's the sort of the question that we have to address first is everyone's starting someplace different typically, you know, and it's very relative to the individual and the life that they led to that moment in time. But it's, it's important to recognize, okay, I'm going to draw this line in the sand now and move forward. What's the vision for my life that I want to pursue? Yeah. We have to create space for that, you know, to, to envision, to introspect, right. To reflect. And, I know as for myself, I struggle with creating the space to have those kind of conversations. And you, you alluded to this before, Samuel, when you said, you, you know, it's that, are, are we asking the right questions of ourselves, right? What questions are we asking, especially when we're by ourselves? Or are we looking to distract ourselves from those questions by doing things that just chew up time, yep. you know, and attention? Netflix and chill is a prime example. And I'm the first and foremost to admit I've had my moments, you know, when my depression kicks in and and I'm feeling anxious. It's so interesting, right? I know that taking immediate action and doing certain things will lessen that feeling, but sometimes I just say, forget it. And I take the path of least resistance and I will veg on the couch, binge on a session of, of some TV series, you know, and, and I'm avoiding dealing with whatever it is that's causing it. I recognize this in me and I can honestly say that it doesn't happen as frequently as it used to because of the work I've done, but it's still there. And I'm only, I want to preface with this first because it's not a matter of trying to eliminate this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's really plugging in and recognizing we all have resiliency in our DNA as a species. We're really good at enduring and evolving. I mean, look at us, 8 billion of us on this planet. Yeah, climate change experts might say we're a bit too resilient, but regardless, we're pretty darn good at, at enduring and surviving the suffering, you know? And, and, uh, and when we recognize that that skills in us, developing resiliency is amazing because it allows us to bounce back on those down days. And what used to be for me a down week, sometimes a down month, it's now a down day or two. You know, I, I bounce back more quickly. And, th- and this is why I, I, I want to preface with that is anybody who's listening to this, I don't care your gender, your life story. Like, I know it's all relative to your experience, but recognize you are resilient. Okay. And, and just work on the bounce back. <laughs> don't worry about, I got to deal with this. So I avoid my down moments because you're going to have them. Yeah. It's a given. I mean, you have cool. them. It's inevitable. If you're living a life worth living, you're going to experience it, okay? Oh, like, like you that. just will. It's well, it's true, right? Like if you're out there living a life and engaged in your own life, you're going to have down moments. You're going to have sad moments. You're going to have moments of suffering. But you don't have to stay there. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't have to be your normal. And based on that, you know, there's definitely some some philosophies if you will or 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 uh, as I like to say more like a process to align with. And, and I invite anybody and everybody, whatever process you you end up adopting or accepting, just remember you have to commit to it consistently and frequently enough to actually see the change through. See the significance of the impact made through your actions. If you try things one time and it doesn't work, whose fault is that? You know, I think we can all admit, it's like, if I go to the gym and I have one workout, oh my gosh, I'm still 20 pounds overweight, what happened? 
I feel ripped off. I want my money back. You know, like, or you go to McDonald's and you eat one Big Mac and you die of a heart attack an hour later. I mean, maybe we would look at fast food differently, right? But we have to recognize things compound over time, positively and negatively. Mm-hmm. So it's those little micro deposits that we make every day will ultimately help create our life. You know, the little experiences every day, intentional or not. Um, and from that, I, I like to invite people, especially men, to prioritize mental health first. I can appreciate that we all look in the mirror and we think about all the things that we'd like to t- see changed, at least in what we're seeing on the surface. And it's easy to, to, to presume that if we change the outside package, that the inside's going to change too. But unfortunately, and I can speak from a lot of experience over 20 plus years of dealing with this, okay, uh, personally, <laughs> and also helping others through it. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do on the outside, if the inside's not getting focused attention, it's all for naught. Because mm-hmm. you can turn yourself into the fittest person on the planet. You know, you can be 17 years old, go from being morbidly obese and lose all that weight and get healthy and thriving and have the attention of your, your peers. But it doesn't mean you're going to think better of yourself. You know, and, and I, I, it's, it's, I hate to be that guy, but it's true. And I, and I think shifting our, our attention to prioritize mental health and our self perspective is where things need to begin. Now, in conjunction with that, that onset, introducing a regular fitness practice is wonderful because you want to see your health change. You want to see hormones start to regulate a bit more effectively. You want to see yourself manage blood sugar and energy more effectively in your life. Fitness is like a direct conduit to make an impact in those areas. And I encourage fitness as well. Working out minimally 15 minutes a day. And some people are like, wow, that's not very much. I'm like, no, it's not. But if that's more than you're doing right now, that would be plenty. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and and one of my favorite things, and this is sort of around the five S, which we might want to touch on, but is I I have this idea called the the, the power 30, you know, and and I refer to 30 minutes, or I also refer to it as the 2% solution. Nice. And what I mean by that is, well, 30 minutes a day is 2% of your 24 hours. Not very much. And in this effort to try to support people where they're at, I invite them to commit for 28 days, 30 minutes a day. So just 2% of your next 28 days, you're going to commit and make a non-negotiable to prioritize yourself. Mentally, physically, and emotionally. And what I invite you to do is with that 30 minutes, you block it in on your calendar every single day for 28 days straight. The first 15 minutes is moving your body with purpose. This is to elicit a positive response or a positive adaptation. See, some stress is good stress. (laughs) Darwin will tell us, right, in his research that it's amazing, but all these stressful environments have led to the fittest survive. You know, those that are most resilient survive and adapt and continue to flourish. Well, we're no different as an organism, right? Um, it's just that we've got a lot more comforts in our developed countries and we've yeah. automated and systematized a lot of this stuff, right? Um, but 15 minutes of movement with purpose. So to get the heart rate elevated, get a little sweat on, work your body, your muscles, right? To feel like you've done something productive for your physicality. To remind you that you mm-hmm. are someone in your own skin. And yes, it feels good right. to move that body. As soon as you're done the 15 minute workout, and it's all body weight, calisthenic space. Don't even worry about equipment. You can put a towel down on the ground. You can do a workout. Brilliant. Five minutes of mindful meditation. Just five minutes. Not very much. But now I find it's really easy to tap into meditation or at least focusing on your breath after a workout. Yes. <laughs> you know? Very much so. So, yeah, 
Yeah, you bring the heart rate down. You're also able to just focus on the heart rate, focus on the breath to try to bring yourself back to a state of calm. But you're extremely present to that feeling in your body. And I think it's a great place to begin, especially if you're just starting out with meditation and you're averse to it. Like I, I am, I, I'm, I struggle to meditate. You get me to sit down anywhere. I mean, I've been sitting here for a bit now and that's impressive, you know, but I am a little fidgety, you know, I move a little bit. Why? Because that's just who I am. All right. So you're trying to get me to sit still and meditate. Yikes. I, I find it's much, I'm less resistant to it and more capable of it uh, when, after, when I do it after a workout mm -hmm. um, or right before bed. Makes sense. And so that's 20 of the 30 minutes. The last 10 minutes is about injecting into your mind and soul and body some some solid personal development. Strong. So listening to a wonderful podcast like this, <laughs> reading an inspiring book, watching a TED talk, you know, having an uplifting conversation with a coach or a mentor in your life, that could also factor in. But I'm not saying hours on end, but just 10 minutes of focusing on feeding that muscle between the ears, something uplifting, empowering, inspiring. You know, because I mean, if we let media do that for us, let's be honest, most of what we see out there is not necessarily positive. No. And if that's what's filling your mind, you got to wonder because whatever goes in is going to come out. Yeah, 100%. And through our actions, through our beliefs, through our conversation, through how we show up, you know? So I, I invite people to really be protective of that. Be protective of the inputs. And, and But this is a wonderful way to just start to set a foundation to create some habits that feed yep. not only the physicality, but also our mentality and our emotional state. And so it's just 2% of every day for 28 days. And at the end of that, I've never had anybody come back to me and say, Oh, I, psh, doesn't work. Yeah. I've never, I, I've never had that. I wrote the book, like legitimately wrote the book, the whole life fitness manifesto. This is going back five, six years now. And I, I give this program in the whole book and I've never had anybody reach out and say, you know what, this is garbage. This doesn't work. I've had people say, okay, well, I, I've done the 30 minutes, but I, I want to do more. And I'm yeah. like, great. Awesome. What do you want to do next? Well, you know, I've always wanted to do a marathon. I'm like, get on it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, do it because that confidence in oneself increases at the same time. Our confidence, our clarity of our life when you feel clear and you feel confident, you procrastinate less and you take more decisive action. Yeah, so powerful. You know, it, it's simple, yeah. but that doesn't mean it's easy. Never is. Because you, you still got to start and you got to keep up with it. But I find that committing 2% of every 24 hours, just 30 minutes a day, every once in a while I get people that push back on this, Samuel. And I'm like, hey, do you have a smartphone? They're like, yeah. I'm like, great. They got this little thing. Is, is it an iPhone by yeah. the chance? And oh yeah, there it's an iPhone. I'm like, oh, you know, there's a really cool thing in the settings here that will tell us every 24 hours how much time you spend on your phone and on what apps. Yeah. Oh, really? I'm like, yeah. Do you mind pulling this up for me right now? <laughs> and then I'm like, so uh, tell me, tell me, how's your days typically look? And like, oh my gosh, I'm on Instagram like an hour a day. Great. What else? Pull it. I'm checking email 40 minutes a day. Oh my goodness. Oh, I'm on this. I'm on that. I'm like, I'm on my phone like six hours a day. I'm like, do you think you could take 30 minutes away from that? So, you know, like you say, kind of so it. simple, <laughs> such a great framework um, because of that simplicity. But like you say, it's just not easy to implement, you know? And uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool. And I can see how that framework can work for so many people too. 
and I love the the term two percent. Uh, was it sorry two percent solution? Was it? Yeah, the two percent solution. <laughs> brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I'm a bit of a copywriter yeah. too, so I like that. No, you, you've done a TEDx talk. You wrote the book, leader of a men's group. Uh, I know that you're been on many podcasts. We've got a lot of connections or similar mutual connections, I suppose. What are you focusing on at the moment? Oh, thanks for asking. I, well, if I'm perfectly honest, you know, my mental health the last few months, uh, I've realized I don't do so well in the wintertime. Mm hmm. And I've become yep. much more sensitive to that after we were traveling for five years and much of those five years are spent in, in much yep. sunnier climates, uh, longer days. Um, so I'm definitely someone that's affected by SADS or yeah. seasonal effectiveness yeah. disorder. Um, it's common. It, it is very common, but I never really appreciated it. But this season has been really hard for me. I'm not yep. going to lie. The last two months I've been struggling yep. and just, just struggling with motivation. Mm-hmm. And I like to, you know, I'm actually, I'm, I'm happy to say, you know, I, I've engaged with a therapist again. I, again, I, I haven't had a therapist for, for many, many, many years, but I felt I just needed a third party to talk to, you Good. know, just sort of chat through some of the things that are going on in my head. Just to, I've recognized sometimes you just got to talk it out, you know, just, just to get that clarity. Yes. And, um, and so, yeah, I've, I've started to realize, you, you know, there's some subtle things that I can start to do. And, and in the last couple of weeks, it's been a very different story. Yeah. Uh, my routines are back. I'm feeling much more connected to my life, much more Brilliant. present. Um, also supplementing and, and I even started going to the tanning beds once a week, you know, just to give me oh, some, some extra vitamin D and all yeah. of it's working really well. Amazing. Uh, but it's, again, I have to choose to commit my time to do those actions. If I don't, you'll just find me on the couch, yeah. <laughs> you know, like to be yeah. honest, that's just the truth. Again, it's it's so valuable when it shows the person you are that you feel comfortable in sharing, you know, that information. It's so important for other people that are listening of, you know, you have to also raise your own hand, right? You mm -hmm. recognized you had that honesty with yourself to be like, hmm, wait a minute, something's not quite right. Let me address that. We can't just hide that voice. You can't just keep turning it off. You have to address it. Um, so I think there's a lot of credit to you there to, to talk about it and yeah. you know sad is um very very common it's, it's come up a few times for me in these podcasts and you know we we, we delve into some of these uh more difficult topics they are um and that's been a lesson for me is how common that is is sad yeah. and it's something that's again probably not talked about enough just super, super i don't think so I, you know to be honest i i think you're absolutely right and uh you know, I, I'm now taking 10,000 IUs of vitamin D3 a day. Yeah, and, and I know some people are probably like, I, I'm that and a, a couple other supplements, you know, like I just, yeah. I work at the functional medicine practice because I also live with a chronic autoimmune disease. I realized I didn't bring that up, but about 10 years ago, got diagnosed with a uh, uh, autoimmune neutropenia, which means I have no neutrophils. Uh, neutrophils is what your bone marrow cranks out to protect you against viral infections <laughs> and bacterial infections. So we can imagine the last couple That's of years, <sighs> I, I know my, my hematologist is like, hey, don't worry about the pandemic. Just live in a bubble. I'm like, you live in a bubble? Have you ever, can you see me doing burpees in a bubble? I don't think so, you know? So, uh, but I have to admit though, the last couple of years during the pandemic was challenging as well because I did limit a lot of my social interactions in real life mm -hmm. um, based on some concerns with my immune system, yeah. you know, and that compromised position that I'm in. So uh, I, I am glad the world's opening up again. My health is good. Now mm -hmm. I'm just working on the mental health to get that back in alignment too. But uh, it, it's... Um, to be fair, last summer, actually it would be a year ago this past summer, I I made that subtle shift to prioritizing mental health above all else. 
Love that. And I did things that made me feel good and made me feel proud about my choices. And that's all I did for literally the whole summer, just over a year ago. Amazing. And in those three months from June, July, August, everything changed. I, I got back to me feeling like me again. Love to hear and, it. Yeah. So Love. anyways, it's like, I, and I just hope anybody that's listening to this or watching, you know, like you're not alone. Like, yeah. We all have these struggles and it, we don't have to struggle alone, you know, because alone and loneliness is just one choice difference. You know, it's just a single choice to, to change that. And um, you'll be amazed at how many people are out there with the hand extended waiting for us, you know, just to, to say, hey, I, I could use some help here. I could use some support. And that that's just, again, to sort of close the loop on that, that the whole idea of a men's group, like if you're a man and you're looking to connect with other men, but in a much more positive and effective and, and growth oriented way, find a men's group, you know, reach out to Samuel, <laughs> connect with them. You know, if you have any questions on that, I, I'd be happy to have a conversation on it too. Yeah. I'd Fully, fully agree. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. I think we've covered so many different topics today. I, <laughs> we have. I want to fully express my gratitude. Uh, but you. you you talk about vulnerability, but you actually show it. Mm. And there's a lot of credit there. You've clearly lived a very full life as well. <laughs> um, and you bring a lot of wisdom to the table, which is which is absolutely amazing. I have two final questions, really. Yeah, sure. Number one is a question that I ask every single person that, that comes on my show. And that question is, what advice would your future self give you in this current moment? Say that one more time. What advice would your yeah. future self give you in this current moment? My future self give me. I love that because it's usually the other way around. And that's why I had to ask for you to say that again. I was like, did I hear that right? I, or, uh, Confronting. So thank you. I like that. I, I really like that. It's uh, you make me think now. Uh, well, I often think, okay, so this is interesting. I'm going to sort of let you in on this. Like, so I, as I mentioned, my, my daughters are almost 18 and 20. And so my, my youngest is just finishing high school. My, my eldest is in second year in university. And both are still living at home, which is wonderful. But my uh, eldest is moving out in January, you know, to move in with her boyfriend. And uh, so it's like, whoa, this is, wow. You know, so, and my youngest is the last year of high school and, and she's already, sure that you know she's into to possibly doing some travel next year mm -hmm. taking a gap year which i'm excited for as well okay. but it's made me start thinking about life without kids again mm -hmm. at least you know as our 24 7 responsibility yeah. and so it's i've started to think about my future a lot more in that regards but also about them and and in particular you know when they start having kids of their own and i find myself being a grandparent and I often think like, what are the lessons I'd like to be able to impart on my grandkids that maybe I wasn't able to impart on my own kids? And, and so this is really case in point to this question. You know, what I've been thinking about a lot lately is, can I be the kind of guy that, listen, the first 10 years of my kids' lives, uh, maybe not the first 10, let's say the first seven, uh, my eldest, first five, my youngest, I, I was busy scaling a company. Not, and, I'm, and, you know, and I know I'm using this as an excuse, but I wasn't as engaged in their life as I could yeah. have been. Also, I was drinking a lot. Yeah. And that also led me to not being very engaged with their life. I don't want to miss those moments again. You know, it's been 13 years since I had a drink. I, I don't even think about it. I'm not yeah. no problem being around it. I'm a very different person because of that now. But I want to be my full self. 
I really want to be able to be vulnerable with my kids and have proper adult conversations with them as they're coming into adulthood. And so that's the piece of advice I give myself is to keep practicing being vulnerable, especially with my girls, because it's going to allow me to be a better parent to them, uh, a better grandparent in the future, but also a better community leader and, you know, just friend. And, uh, and that's really my focus right now, you know, is, is continuing to practice that, you know, because had I adopted this 20 years ago, this practice of just trying to become more comfortable with this idea of opening up, I I often wonder where my life be today, Mm. you know, so that's where I'm thinking like 20 years from now, where will it be if I just keep doing what I'm doing now? And, and I'm actually really optimistic. <laughs> it's okay. yeah. Like I'm, I feel good. And, and, but it's just a nice reminder to keep doing what I'm doing, you know, right. Keep making those little deposits every day, trying to bring down those barriers so I can deeper the connection and understanding between me, my kids, my friends, my communities, uh, just keep practicing being vulnerable and not worry about the outliers that might take advantage of that vulnerability. You know? Cause it does happen. And I know that's a concern we all have, but um, I'm willing to take that risk, you know? Love that. My takeaway from that was be your best self so that you can be the best father and then never miss a moment again. Yeah. And I would say that's pretty much the life that we've had the last decade. So, you know, I I feel really proud about that. And, uh, but I, I plan to keep that, you know, it's, it's one of my core values. I don't compromise on family. Love that. All for it. All for it. This has been so much fun. I've I've taken away loads personally as well. All of your links to socials uh, are going to be down below, but where would be the best place for someone to come and connect, learn more about you? Where would be the best place for them to go? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a social guy. I, I like connecting with people just for conversations and uh, whether it be online or in real life. Um, but I, I always say, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're online and you're active online, uh, I'm most active on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Cool. So I would say, start there first, shoot me a message, you know, or, or comment on a post. Uh, don't, don't be shy. <clears throat> say, Hey, I, I heard you and Samuel talking about vulnerability. Here's my take on it. Love that. Here's my experience with it. Like that's a great place for us to start. And uh, cause you know what, we're all in this together. <laughs> we are, yeah. whether we admit it or not, man, we're all moving in the same direction and that's forward. So I, I know we can go a lot further when we go together. And as the old African proverb goes, you know, if it, you want to go far, go together. You want to go uh, fast, go on your own, right? But uh, I don't know. I want to go far and I'd rather go together. So yeah, um, yeah there we go. Amazing. Amazing. Di, thank you for showing up with the energy, the vulnerability. Wow. And it's refreshing to see someone so passionate about what they do. So thank you for sharing your time, your value, your knowledge with us today. It's been a lot, uh, an amazing, amazing episode. And uh, I'm looking forward to what's to come. Likewise, Samuel, thank you for creating a space like this where we can all be flies on the wall to hear these types of conversations. And and for you, just creating a space where it's safe to have these conversations. Because, man, the world needs more of that. Yeah. So thank you for offsetting that negativity scale that we see in the media today. And uh, the more people like you creating positive, we're going to shift the the global uh, perspective on, on, on this. I really do believe that. And I think it's already happening. You know, yes. the scale is tipping. And uh, I just want to say thank you for leading the charge. You know, it's really amazing to see. My name is Samuel Main, and I truly hope that you've got value from today's video. If you have, please do hit like and subscribe down below. And I'll see you in the video tomorrow.